those details in, what we'll do is we'll send you out a connection uh, postcard or we'll make touch base with you. And then what we can do is we can... We long to hear your voice. Would you awaken hearts this morning? God, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for, for all the needs that have been met in this place, God. For all the, the stuff that's been happening here in the vineyard, God. We've never gone wanting, God. We've always been able to feed the hungry. God, we thank you for the opportunities to... How are we all doing? Good? Good. Tired? Oh, Mark. Don't be napping. Don't be napping, Mark. I've got water here. I might just... <laughs> Were you not? Yeah. Well, okay. You're allowed. You're a musician. You're allowed to not be into this morning. That's totally okay. Um, can I just pray for us before we start? Yeah. Hmm. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. You're so welcome in this place. And Father, I just invite you to come in your presence and your power. And in the still, quiet voice. In the whisper in the wind. Lord, I love how you come in so many different ways to us. And just this morning, God, I sense that there's people who just need a refreshing rain. It's that lovely refreshing rain. Yeah. So would you come right now? For those that feel that they're in a dry, parched place, in a desert place, would you just bring that refreshing rain of your presence and your love and your mercy? Yeah, God, would you rain down your mercy in this place this morning? And your grace. Yeah. We are overwhelmed, Father, by your love for us. Your love that draws us in. Your love that draws us really close and tucks us right under your arm, under the shadow of your wings. You're so good, Father. Would you speak to us? Would you set us free? I declare freedom in this room this morning. In the name of Jesus, freedom. Freedom in minds, freedom in minds that would set hearts free. Amen. Um, our key verse in this series is what? Don't put it up yet. <laughs> Who knows the key verse? Romans. There's everybody's mother. There's quite a few people saying it, and that's very good. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I have it up here today in the NLT version, New Living Translation. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Just a slight shift from what the NIV says. The NIV says the renewing of your mind, but the NLT says it by changing the way you think, which is just exactly the same thing. But sometimes that, I love to look at different translations of Scripture because sometimes it just brings a wee fresh tilt to maybe something that you've read. So one of my encouragements to you is, is if you've always, always, always read the NIV, or if you've always, always, always read the King James Version, or whatever, is sometimes it's really good just to shift to another translation for a while, because it just brings a new freshness. It's all the Word of God. It's all His truth. But sometimes there's just a wee freshness in language that helps you connect in something that maybe you've just become so familiar to you. Do you know what I mean? And I love this. It says, by changing the way you think. You see, transformation cannot happen. True transformation cannot happen unless our minds are renewed. 
No transformation takes place whatsoever unless there's a change in our mind or a change in the way that our thoughts work. And then once our thoughts begin to change and our minds begin to change, then our lives begin to change and we begin to change the way we act and the way we live. Do you agree with that? And it's really important then that we learn how to manage our mind. I don't know about you, but sometimes that is the biggest challenge for me. Have you ever been caught in a cycle of um, anxiety? Have you ever been caught in a cycle of anxious thoughts? I have. And you just, all of a sudden, things spiral. So you begin by thinking about something. Very often you wake up in the middle of the night, usually it happens to me, four in the morning, and all of a sudden my mind is bombarded with not just what I need to do the next day, but the next week and the next month. And all of a sudden, everything is just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And the anxiety grows and the anxiety grows and the fear grows and the fear grows. And the next thing, I'm still looking at the clock and it's six o'clock in the morning. Anybody been there? It's really important that we learn how to take our thoughts captive and how we learn to control the thoughts that bombard our mind so that we can live a transformed life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Because the truth is, your thoughts control your life, whether they're good or bad, both ways around. It's a positive and a negative. But our thoughts control our lives. So be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Sometimes we don't realize how important our thoughts are and our thinking is, but the Bible says the power of your mind, the power of your thoughts, has a tremendous ability to shape you, whether for good or for bad. See, some of us have accepted thoughts that we've grown up with because they've been words that have been spoken over us. Some of you have accepted the words, other people's thoughts about you, and you've accepted them as truth, and they have become your thoughts about yourself. You're worthless. You're no good. You don't matter. You're ugly. You're lazy. You're stupid. You'll never amount to much. And we all can see how those negative, destructive thoughts become this tape that I often talk about that plays over and over in our minds that leads us almost into like a self um, self-fulfilling prophecy where that's almost where we end up becoming. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I have always, always said that I couldn't run, right? I can't, I'm not sporty. At school, I was always hoping to find the one sport I could do. Anybody else with me on that? Thank you, Helen. I knew I'd find someone in here that would be able to identify with me with all the rest of you sporty people in Dungannon who love to do all your rugby and football and all that there, cycling and running and everything like that there. So I grew up thinking, I just can't run. I can't run. And Jason didn't help, in fairness, because one time when we were not long married, I was coming running to the car in a hurry, and he, he just laughed. I get in the car, and he was absolutely doubled over into laughing at me. And I was going, what's wrong? He says, you, Michelle, the amount of effort you're putting in, you should be in the Olympics, because there's so much effort going in but you're not actually moving very fast. And I was like, thanks. And then he goes, you know what you remind me on? Do you know what you remind me on? You know Phoebe in that episode of Friends? That's like loving, encouraging husband that I have. So in my head, I said, I can't run, I can't run, I can't run. And a really good friend, Denise, who's out helping with the kids this morning, out, um, serving out there, Denise took me out three years ago and taught me how to run. Now, she taught me how to, I don't do it very much, I have to, that's my disclaimer. 
But I remember her taking me out, and she just kept saying to me, Michelle, you can do this. You can do this. And when literally, I remember the first day she took me out, thinking I was actually going to die, and then remembering she was a nurse. So I thought, no, Denise is not going to let me die, because she's a nurse, so it's okay. I'm just going to keep on going. And she kept on saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And over a series of weeks, we would go out, and I remember one day, Still in my head, there was this thing, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then I would remember Denise saying, you can, you can, you can do this, Michelle, you are doing it. And she would change it to, you're doing it, look, you're doing it, you're doing it. And I was thinking, I'm barely moving any faster than I'm running. She's going, no, you're running, you're running, this is what running is. And I remember one day coming down the bush road, I'd done around the speed mill loop, and it was the first day that I had ran more than I had walked. It's a huge achievement for me. And I was coming down towards the crossroads in the bush, and I suddenly realized that, and I thought, I have just ran more than I've walked. And I was so ecstatic, and I thought, I can run. This thought came into me, I can run. And I started to cry. Because there was this realization and this complete shift in my mind of something that always felt like something I couldn't do, something I'd always just, it's not a huge thing in my life, like my life wasn't incapacitated because I couldn't run, but obviously in my head it was such, a, it was, this thing had taken hold that wasn't actually true, because actually I could run, I just needed somebody to show me. That was all. So sometimes there's these things get rooted in our heads, get stuck in there, these thoughts that get stuck, that actually hold us back and are destructive and are unhealthy for us. And one of the things <clears throat> I want to talk about this morning, I want to give us three daily choices that we can make that help us have a healthy mind. Who's in for that? I certainly am. Three choices that will help you have a healthy mind. <clears throat> one of the first things is, I want to say, is that you can control your thoughts. You can control your thoughts. Now, sometimes it feels like you can't. I've been in that place, I've been in that spiral where it feels like I'm on the gerbil wheel and I can't get off, you know, like, ooh, this is like, or on the, even worse, have you ever been on a roundabout as a child and you really want to get off but you can't because if you let go, you're going to go flying off and you're like, I just have to hold on and sometimes our thoughts are like that. We're, don't, we're not enjoying it and we're feeling sick but we just don't feel like we can get off the spin. The first thing to help us get off that crazy spin is you can control your thoughts. It may feel difficult. There may be times where it feels impossible, but the truth is you can control your thoughts. You can control them. And if you want a healthy mind, the first thing to do is feed your mind with truth. You must feed your mind with the truth because there's a bombardment of thoughts that go on in our heads, each and every one of us, and if we can control them, then the one thing we want to control is what is the truth and how do we know the truth? How do we know the truth? Come on, I'm going to give you a clue. Jesus, yeah, he is the way, the truth, and the life, David, yeah. And this here, God has not left us to be aimlessly wandering through life trying to work out what the truth is. This book is full of the truth. Did you know that there's 7,000 promises in this book? 7,000 promises, 7,000 promises in this book that will help you know what the truth is. Matthew 4.4 4 says this, people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. The Bible is like our soul food. And I was thinking about this this morning and I thought, 
You know, sometimes I think we treat the Bible a bit like, could you imagine somebody making you a lovely meal and it's sitting in front of you and there's like your favorite dinner. All I can think about is chicken satay. Chicken satay, whatever. And salad, of course, because I'm so healthy. And uh, you're sitting looking at it and you look at it and you think, oh, that's good. Now that's good food and that's really, that would be really good for me. But unless we meditate on it, unless we eat the food, what good is it going to be to us? If all we do is sit and look at it, or if all we do is acknowledge it from a distance and go, yeah, that's good for you, I can see that's a really healthy meal and that's really, that would really sustain me and that's a good meal. But unless we eat it, unless we consume it, unless we take it into ourselves, it's not going to have any nutritional value for us sitting on a plate, is it? Well, it's exactly the same with the Word of God. And one of the things I think that we've done over the years in church life is that we've relegated memorization of Scripture to our children. We expect, absolutely expect, and it's a good thing that Cheryl Roberts is going to be teaching our children memory verses. That's a good thing to do. We want her to teach them, we want her to teach them Scripture. We want our children to be memorizing Scripture and to know Scripture. But then we kind of think, once she had 12, oh, sure, we're all right now. But I don't know about you, but as a child, now even at 44, there's no way I know 7, 000, the 7,000 promises that are in this book. Does anyone know the 7,000 promises in this book? Totally off by heart, every single one. If you do, put up your hand. I'd love to talk to you later and find out how you've managed to do that and get it all into your head. There's always more to know. There's always more to know. But if we want to have healthy minds, if we want to be able to learn how to control our thoughts, if we want to learn how to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then it begins with this book. There's no shortcuts. It begins with ingesting the truth. And God's promises for us is a great, great way to start. Absolutely great way to start. A while back, um, I did a talk and the, the whole thing was, it was like, hold that thought. Hold that thought, do you remember? The promises of God hold that thought. What are the promises of God over your life? I can guarantee that whatever you're facing, this is a money-back guarantee, whatever you're facing today in your life, whatever hits you on a Wednesday afternoon, whatever's coming on down the road in six months' time that you can't even see or foresee coming, whatever you face in your life, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, whatever, there is a promise in this book that will sustain you and carry you through it. That is the truth. There are promises in this book that I live my life on, sometimes daily, that he will never leave me. The promise that God will never leave us is enough, isn't it? Never mind the 6,999 other promises that are in here. So fill your mind with the truth, the promises. My challenge for you this week, we're the Google generation, Go home, Google promises of the Bible and work your way through it. One a month. 7,000 months ahead. <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't memorized scripture from your child, maybe you're here and you've never ever grown up in Sunday school, you've never grown up in church, then now is a brilliant time to start. Memorize scripture, memorize the promises because when you know the truth, then the lie is very apparent. I think I've shared this before. I used to work in the bank. And the, um, my friend 
Audrey, she's still my really good friend. She taught me. She was really scary, but she taught me cash, how to do be a cashier. She used to shout at me every single day, usually for being untidy, which nobody will be surprised. She lives with me in our house. Um, but um, I remember her talking to me about forgeries. And she says to me, Michelle, you have to look out for forgeries. And she gave me a couple of tips of how to know what a forgery is. And I was expecting her to get me out this whole big like catalogue of fake notes, and me and her were going to study the fake notes. She didn't show me one fake note. She said, you study the real thing. What does a real 20 pound look like, feel like, smell like? Well, no, you don't want to smell money. Trust me, you don't want to smell money. <laughs> and you want to wash your hands after you've been counting it all day. But you, you know the real thing by knowing the real thing. So the lies become really obvious to you when you know what the truth is. It's the most important thing. You fill your mind, you feed your mind with the truth of who God is, what he says about not just himself, but what does he say about you? What does God say about you? You fill yourself, you fill your mind with that truth, and then you are in a really good place to begin to take control and take, um, be transformed in your mind. The second thing, is to free your mind from destructive thoughts. We need to free your mind from those destructive thoughts. You know those, those ones I was talking about that you become prisoner to, like mine, I can't run, which was a small thing. But some of us are just so tied up in those constructive thoughts. Some of you have been told the same thing over and over again, and you've began to believe it about yourself. And very often these are rooted in our insecurities. They're rooted in a place of pain. They're rooted in a place of failure or they're rooted in a place of fear in our life. And all of a sudden, this thing comes and takes hold of us. For some of you, you were told you would never amount to anything. You had brothers and sisters that always excelled way more than you did. And you always felt like the failure in your family. You always felt like the one that was less than everyone else. And that you've grown up with that. Time and time again, you've grown up with it. And every time you hit a hard thing in life, every time circumstances are difficult, every time that you fail, which we all do, let's be honest, hands up in here, who has never failed at anything? Yep, 100%. Really? <laughs> Keeping your room tidy, Maddie, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm a bad mother. Sorry. <laughs> you don't care about that one. That's why I chose that one. <laughs> But whatever it is, whatever the thing is in your head, whatever it is that is holding you back and this, this constant destructive thinking that you have yourself, you need to set yourself free of it. And there's lots of things I could talk to you about this, in this, this morning, but I have chosen to zone in on one thing because as I was preparing this, I actually scrapped two whole pages this morning you'll be pleased to hear about because I just thought there's way too much content in here. But I want to zone in on this one thing on this area of freeing your mind from destructive thinking. And it's temptation. Temptation. It's, I think, something that we talk about less and less. I think we talk about it less and less because we realize that temptation leads us to what? Sin. And sin has become a very, very unpopular notion or actual fact in our society, hasn't it? You can't tell anyone that they're sinning, and you can't even acknowledge 
that sin is sin because then it just opens up a whole can of worms and all of a sudden we're judgmental and we're all these kind of things. We're condemning people. But actually sin is a whole real thing. We all know it, don't we? We all sin. We all struggle with it. So I want to talk about temptation in the context of you and me personally, right? So that's the filter. We're not thinking about other people. It's very easy, especially if you're married, to think about your spouse and think, oh, he hope he's listening to this. But I want us to think in the context of ourselves, okay? This is in the context of you. The truth is we are all tempted, and the truth is sometimes we sin. Fair enough? Yeah? But I want to talk about temptation because this is a real key thing in the transforming of our mind. If we can understand how temptation works, then it's like anything else. Once you know how something works, then you're way more savvy to the whole thing. You're way more switched on to how to tackle it and how to not let it overrun your life. James 1, 14 to 15 says this, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions and then the evil actions lead to death. On there it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. That's how sin works. But you can see in this verse that temptation is a process. It is not an isolated event. Do not ever come to me and say, that you have sinned and all of a sudden you just woke up that day and it just happened. Like, you know, like you walked out of the house and somebody hit you with a stone and like that. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things that just happened to you. Temptation doesn't just happen to you. It begins in the inside. It's actually an inside job. And it begins with desire. If you don't have a desire for something, it's not a temptation. Now, I have never... Now, I'm not, and I'm not going to say there's anything, but yeah, I'll just go for it, not make a disclaimer. I've never, ever been tempted to smoke a cigarette, okay? The reason is it just holds absolutely no desire for me. My, my mum smoked for years, and that was enough to put me off. She gave it up years ago, thankfully. But she used to smoke, and it totally was enough to put me off. So the whole desire, whenever I was growing up and people were saying, do you want, do you want to try a cigarette? I was like, uh-uh. There was no way that was any kind of a temptation for me. It was just an absolute no-no. Because there wasn't any internal desire inside me for that. You see, but the things that I am tempted with actually have a desire in the inside of me. There's something that are attractive to me or there's something about them that makes me think, oh, that might be a nice idea. You see, the lure, the temptation begins on the inside. Temptation doesn't start out there. It begins with a natural desire. It begins with a natural desire that then becomes warped by temptation into something that's less than what God has for us. So we all have a natural desire for sleep. We all have a natural desire for water. You have a natural desire for food. You have a natural desire for sex. You have a natural desire for comfort. You have a natural desire to succeed in life. And these are all God-given drives. The drive to achieve, the drive for sex, the drive to breed. These are all normal drives. They're all absolutely normal. There's nothing wrong with them. But temptation turns a routine desire into something that's a complete runaway desire. That's what makes it bad. 
A temptation takes something that is a natural, normal part of our life, and then it warps it and it turns it into something. It's like getting on a runaway tree, and that's just going to take us to the road to destruction. You see, if you have a fire in your fireplace, it's a good thing, isn't it? Keeps your house warm. If you're lucky to have a back boiler, it heats your water. It's a good thing. If you have a gas fire on your stove or in your cooker, it's a good thing you can cook with it. But a fire out of control can burn your house down. Does that make sense? And natural desires that God has given us is exactly the same. All of God's gifts can be misused and abused. And they will burn your house down. They will lead you to destruction unless you learn how to, how to harness them and to resist the temptation that comes. Good desires, good drives get mis misused and abused. And then we end up in a place that we just never thought we'd be in. Very often, temptation is an attempt to fulfill a legitimate desire in your life in the wrong way. Let me explain. We all want to be loved, don't we? I think we've all been created with a desire in us. I believe we've all been created for community. We've been created for relationship. So that's a natural desire in us. So that desire to be loved is a good natural desire. But temptation can take us off on a whole different road with that, can't it? It can actually lead us into abusive relationships where we will stay and be abused emotionally, psychologically, even physically abused because it's better than not being loved. That's in our heads. Can you see that connection? But the legitimate need is to be loved, but we're just in the absolute wrong place for it. The second thing with temptation is doubt. And this is the big thing. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, can you imagine Eden? Can you even begin to imagine? Where's your favorite place in the world? Have a picture of it in your head, right? Mine is the beach, right? Where's your favorite place? And you could imagine somewhere that's lush and plentiful and beautiful. And Eden was all those things and more. It's even beyond our comprehension. And the very, very first temptation took in there. And God said to them, Adam and Eve, this is the perfect environment for you. You have everything in here that you need. It is an absolute paradise. And you think sometimes when I read this, how do you mess this up? Like, Adam and Eve, really? How did you mess that up? You had everything, everything you need in this place. And God says, there's just one tree, one tree. When I was younger, you know you read children's books? They only showed you one tree. Do you know what I mean? There's only ever the one tree, the bad tree. So it was very hard to imagine the abundance of actual, the other trees that were there and the abundance of choice that was in the Garden of Eden. There were hundreds and thousands of trees that they could eat from. There was fruit, I imagine, that we haven't even seen or tasted. This place was abundant and, and just God had just created it. It was amazing. And yet God said, there's this one tree and I'm telling you not to eat from it because if you eat from it, you're going to die. If you eat from this tree, you're going to taste death as a result. And Satan comes along and he says, see that tree over there? Did God really say you can't eat of that tree? Did he really say you couldn't eat of that? Did he really say that that tree is really going to, do you think he really means it? Like, does he really mean it? That it's going to kill you, that it's going to bring death? 
And you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't want you to eat that tree because he just doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. Because if you eat that tree, then you'll be as smart as he is, and he just doesn't want you that, to do that. So, you know, never mind of all these other trees that you have to eat, but this tree, this is the most important tree. And that's what the enemy does very often. He makes the one thing that we know we shouldn't touch in our life, the one thing that's not from God in our life, he makes it all of a sudden the most important thing. Do you ever see that? Where that becomes the thing you wake up in the morning and all you can think about. That desire becomes the thing that completely overruns your whole life because that's all you can see. And it starts with this thing of doubt of, really? And the doubt is really, is God really good? Is he really good? Does God really have your best entrance at heart? Does he really know what you need in your life? Or is, is God just like being really prudish and maybe God doesn't really know what it's like in this day and age? I mean, really, like, should Christians not have sex outside marriage? Is that really important in this day and age? Is that really something that matters? I mean, does it really matter that you're honest and have integrity and, and pay your bills and pay your tax to the HMRC? Does that really matter nowadays, or is that just a really old-fashioned idea? The enemy comes really subtly, and what he does is he gets us to doubt that God knows best. Time and time again, he gets us to doubt that God knows best and the desire that we have burning in us is more important. The third thing is deception. The enemy comes and he replaces God's truth with a lie. He says, you won't die if you eat this. But God had already said, if you eat this, you're going to die. There's always a choice. And yet the enemy comes and says, God says you can't eat a bunch of stuff. All of a sudden, it didn't become about the one tree. It, become about, it became this absolute fascination with this one tree. And if you don't eat this, you need to eat this. This became the most attractive thing in the whole garden. In the verse, it talks about being lured. And temptation comes from the lure of your evil desires. And that's a fishing term. Now, Matty, I was given stick about for his room, which wasn't fair, is a fisherman loves to fish, and I get to hear about it now and again, and I kind of store some of it in the back of my head. Do you know how we do that, mummies? We kind of store that stuff in the back of our head because we're really not interested, but we love that our child is interested in it, so we kind of half listen. So even I know that trout eat a different kind of bait to salmon, and that even apparently that some fish eat different things at different times of the day. Is that right, Maddie? Kind of? Yeah, okay. That there's different flies and stuff you use at different times of day and in different rivers and different places and all that kind of thing. Okay, I'm getting lost. I'm stopping. But even I know you don't go fishing with a bear hook. Any of you ever tried that? Matty? No, you've never tried that? Have you tried it? Okay. Not a good idea. You don't go fishing with a bear hook. What do you do? You put bait on it. And you try and hide the hook so the wee fishy is coming along swimming along, minding his own business, and all of a sudden it sees a wee worm and thinks, ooh, ready-made dinner. And then all of a sudden it gets caught on the hook and you've caught the fish. You see, the enemy can't control our minds. The enemy actually doesn't have control over your mind and your thought life. Only you have control over that. Yes, he can put things into your mind. Yes, he can suggest things. Yes, he can bring temptation. And he can twist the truth of who God is. Yes, he can bring doubt. But the enemy cannot control your mind. You have control over your mind. 
On the other side, our God the Father is a Father of choice, and he doesn't control our minds either. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish God could control my mind. I just think my life would be so much better if God controlled my mind rather than me, because I'm not doing a great job of it, to be honest. But we, have the, we get the choice. We have the choice to control our minds. We get to do that. But the enemy is very subtle, and he knows our weaknesses. And that's our bait. Time and time again, he knows our weakness. He knows what it is that's going to catch us out. He knows what to hide the hook in. Does that make sense? And your, your bait is completely different to mine. We're all different fish. We all are enticed by different things. We're all human, but we're all different. And the enemy knows what to, hi what to hide or hook in. With me, very often, the bait are, lies in my insecurities or in those lies that I've began to believe about myself. And that's how the enemy entices me in. You see, we know there's a hook when we're feeling tempted. We know the truth. We know there's a hook. And we know that when we give in to temptation, it's going to lead us to destruction, don't we? We know that. We know there's always consequences for our sin. Sometimes, whenever we think about temptation, I'm going to use this example. Some of you have maybe seen it before. Sometimes, when we're tempted, it's like there's a natural need and desire for something. This is us. And there's a legitimate need in our life, and we want to feel loved. I'm going to use that one as an example. And we have a desire to be loved. We have a desire to feel connection with someone. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this place in life where we just feel disconnected from people around us. And we begin to believe this lie that we're not lovable or we're lonely or whatever it is. And this is where it begins. And then the enemy comes along. And he begins to say, you know, you, you really deserve love, which is the truth. And he says, but, you know, if you're not getting love right now, your wife or your husband, they're just not understanding you right now. They're really not getting you, you know, and you deserve love. So, do you know what? We, ha we harmful flirt with that person in the office. It isn't going to do any harm. It's just going to make you feel better about yourself. And that's like the first wee decision. And then the flirting continues a wee bit more every day. We, you know, you go and get your tea break together. And then it sort of goes to, well, you know what? We're all going out after work tonight for dinner. Why don't I pick you up first and give you a lift? Because that would be so much easier than you going with somebody else. And then you spend the whole evening when you're there talking to that one person. And then you end up, then you think, well, well we have this special project to work on and work. Why don't we stay late after work and do that? And then, well, it makes sense just to go out and get something to eat after work because we've just spent all day working on this together. And then it becomes you find a way to make sure that you're together. And then you, began, you begin lying to your husband or wife about what's happening because you don't want them to know. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself thinking about this other person a whole lot more. What they say to you, the messages they send, you become part of your everyday and you're longing for, to hear from them because it gives you value. And you start feeling not so lonely and not so unloved. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation that you never, ever thought you would find yourself in. 
will you become someone who has an affair? And you never would have thought you would have been there. But can you see the journey? It starts with a legitimate desire to be loved and to be accepted and all those things. And it ends up, you see, when temptation comes, when temptation comes to us in our life, it doesn't happen overnight. Sin doesn't happen overnight. But what it leads us to is it can lead us to disobedience and defeat. You see, being tempted is not a sin. Your mind being bombarded with temptation is not a sin. It is only a sin when we disobey God and we act in that place. And what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to meet my needs. I don't trust you that when you say that you will fulfill all my needs, I don't trust you that, that you'll help me keep my marriage vows. I don't trust you that you'll help me pay the bills so I'll double my tax return. I don't trust you, God, with my life. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try my own way. I'm going to try and fulfill this natural, real desire that you've put in me in my own way. And that's how temptation works. That's all about heavy. But here's, here's my wee phrase. What I flirt with, I fall for. Now, that might be a cupcake. With me, it's normally a cupcake, chocolate cake. I'm supposed to be on a diet. It's not going too well. I'm not looking forward to going to Slim with Jill this Tuesday. I don't think I've done very good. But what you flirt with, you fall for. Whatever it is in your life that you're flirting with, please be under no illusion do not play with temptation. Do not even start on this road and think that you can jump off at any time because before you know it, you're going to be on the floor like that book. Because once it starts, it is like getting on a runaway train. So hear me this morning. And I really sense this is a word from the Lord, so I'm not going to look at anybody in particular because I don't know who it's for. But I really, really sense in this room that there's some of you and you're on this crazy temptation train. And even right now, the enemy's trying to convince you that, no, that's not me. But you know that you know you're already halfway across this table. But I love that the grace and the mercy of the Father is in this room this morning to help you get off. And the truth of who he is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is in this room, and he will illuminate the truth to you. Because here's the thing. You might be enticed by the bait right now, but there is a hook that is going to take you out. And here's what sin does. Sin just doesn't destroy your life. There's always consequences for your family and for those around you. So please, if you hear nothing else this morning, get off that train. Get off that train. Psalm 119, verse 112 says this. I've made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. I'm, I've made up my mind to obey your laws, no matter what. We are free to choose anything we want in life. You're free. I'm free to make choices. Let's make good choices. Let's make godly choices. Let's make choices based on the truth of his word. Let's make choices that are going to lead us into life because that's what the Father has for us. Not choices that are going to lead us towards death and destruction. Three choices I said we were going to have today. Feed your mind on the truth. 
free your mind from destructive thoughts, and that's the battle with, with temptation. And the third one is focus your mind on the right things. Mind trans- for mind trans- transformation, it's about focusing your mind on the right things. And one of the best ways to do this is think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. I'm going to read from the message. Hebrews 12, verse 3, puts it like this. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. We think about Jesus. There are times when we will feel overwhelmed. There are times in life when life feels overwhelming and it all feels too hard to make the right choices. Think on Jesus. He is our wonderful example. I hope and pray that none of us in this room will ever be crucified. Although the truth is, there's Christians in this world right now in this day and age being crucified for their faith. But my prayer is that that would not be any of you. But Jesus kept his face fixed straight ahead to the mission to the goal that was set before him, that he would go to the cross and take our sins and our punishment so that we could be forgiven and live free lives. Free lives, not just free on the outside, but free on the inside, free in our minds, where we know the truth and the truth sets us free, free from temptation, where we get to choose life over death. Think about Jesus. And also think about others. Philippians 2, 4, don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. How countercultural is that in this day and age? What are we told all the time? Look out for number one. Do you know what? When it's all said and done, you just need to look after yourself. Nobody else is going to look after you in this world, so you just have to look after yourself. How many times a week do you hear that type of conversation? You know, it's, if, it's, if it's going to happen, well, I'm just going to have to be the one to do it because you can't depend on anybody else. So it's just all about me. It's all about me. I need to look after myself. And it's not even always from a pride, a place of pride. Very often it's from a place of self-preservation because we think, well, we just have to look after ourselves. And we become so fixated with having to look after ourselves that we forget to look up and out and see other people around us and realize that we were made for community that our Father God made us to be interlinked and connected. And no matter how isolated or how individual you think you are, the truth is you're still interlinked and connected to others. So we lift up our eyes and we think about others. We think about Jesus, we think about others. And our mind becomes transformed. Our thinking becomes transformed. So I'm just going to sum up. I want us to remember God's promises. Will you commit to memorizing his promises? I'm not going to ask for hands up, but I will ask you. I may stand at the door next week. <laughs> will you commit to it? Learn his promises. If the truth isn't in here, you don't have anything to combat the lies with. 
If the truth isn't here, you won't have anything to combat the lies with. If you don't know what the real thing is, if you don't know what's in the bank, if you don't know like, what a real 20-pound note looks like, you will never know what a, you, want to, you will be fooled by a forgery. You've got to know the truth, and the truth sets you free. You feed your mind with the truth. You free your mind from destructive thoughts. Do not be enticed by temptation. Do not be enticed. Do not fall for the, the schemes of the enemy that would lead you towards death. Resist. Call in all the help. You know, when Jesus was, at the, um, was in the wilderness, do you remember at the end when he had resisted the temptation, the angels came and ministered to him. Call in help. If you are in that place of temptation this morning, if you're in that place in your life right now where you just feel bombarded and you, your mind, there's even a sense that some of you are feeling like your mind is confused of what the truth is. And as I've been talking about the truth, there's been like this internal battle going on inside. Would you just lean into the truth? And we focus our minds on the right thing. We focus our minds on Jesus first and foremost and we lift our eyes towards others.